Today, we rank every men's basketball head coach in Kennesaw State history, talk baseball transfers, new defensive coordinator Nate Burton, basketball recruiting, and much, much more all on the Owl Chat Podcast. All right, Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette, and John Finer. All right, special shout out to good friend of the show, Nick Masseroni, who made that intro for us. Y'all can follow him on Twitter at Nick underscore Joe underscore Mass. Um, but yeah, surprising amount of news to get to this week. Um, John, how you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Kai. I just want to also give a shout out to Nick. Uh, he reached out to us, offered uh, generously to do the intro and outro. Uh, we didn't ask. He didn't ask for any money. So please go ahead and follow Nick. Um, that's awesome. I, again, I appreciate it. But I'm doing great, Kai. Um, excited to uh, talk some sports today. Got a lot of baseball stuff uh, during the offseason here. Absolutely. And one more thing about Nick, he does a great job of being the uh, so-called on-court MC at all the men's and women's basketball games. So uh, just really go give him the appreciation he needs on Twitter. But yeah, like I said, we've got a lot of uh, news to get to, a surprising amount for it being uh, the end of June, uh, what's typically your slowest time in uh, college sports. Well, you know what, Kai, um, if there's not news, we'll make news and we'll talk about it. That's <laughs> what we're here for. Totally. All right. Cool. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, start off with baseball. Uh, the big news, um, Kennesaw State Baseball added two huge transfers last week. Um, I'll go over both of them. Uh, one is uh, Nate Anderson. He's an outfielder transfer from uh, Gardner-Webb. He's got two years of eligibility. And the other is Isaac Bouton, a shortstop, can also play third base from uh, Columbus State. Uh, we'll go into a little bit more on Isaac later, but I want to start off with Nate, just for the sake of my notes being in order. And a cool fact about Nate, um, he actually lives in my neighborhood where I grew up. Um, so, you know, that's in Dunwoody, Georgia. Uh, so my parents still live there right now. So who knows? Uh, I may have seen him walking around one day. You never know. But uh, as far as Nate goes, he is an outfielder. Uh, two years of eligibility, as I mentioned, transferred from Gardner-Webb. Um, he is about 5'8". He's a small guy, but he is really fast. He also packs a lot of punch um, in the lineup. He can really add some pop. Um, I anticipate he's going to be the leadoff hitter, uh, starting center fielder for sure. Um, he had seven homers last year with Gardner-Webb, uh, six being outside the park. I think he hit a uh, inside the Parker as well. Uh, he's an interesting player. He's, you know, he's local. He's born and raised in Dunwoody. He's a grew up being a Braves fan, big Braves fan. Uh, he started at Gardner Webb. I, I read up that they have a developmental program. They're like the only D1 country, D1 school in the country to have that. So he started there in 2020 as part of like their developmental program. And then he uh, spent a year, uh, sorry, 2021. And then he spent a year, uh, you know, getting some playing time, but he really broke out last year. He hit like, uh, I think it was around 300, stole 23 bases. Um, he's going to be our center fielder. And I posted some highlights on Twitter. If you scroll through at KSU Owl Howell feed, you'll be able to check those out. 
Um, a couple of really nice catches, one from Summer League and one from Gardner-Webb. Um, he also hit a monster homer. As I mentioned, the kid does have some pop. You look at him and you're like, oh, yeah, this kid's just going to be, you know, hit some singles to right, maybe poke one to left field. But, you know, it, he could probably hit somewhere between five to ten uh, next year as well. And also I posted some a highlight of a straight steal from last summer. Uh, very impressive the way he got the read and just got in there. Um, so he's going to provide us with a leadoff hitter, uh, speed, and much-needed defense in center field. Uh, last year, the Owls did not have that defense in center field with Antonio Gleaton being hurt before the season started. Uh, we ended up having to play a lot of uh, Jackson Chirello, a true freshman, who's more of a corner outfielder um, at heart, and Braden Edson, again, who's more of a corner outfielder slash first baseman defensively. So adding um, Nate Anderson is going to help the pitchers tremendously. It's going to kind of round out the roster. Uh, speaking of rounding out the roster, um, Isaac Bouton, who I mentioned earlier from uh, Fellowship Christian in Roswell, Marietta, Georgia native, is returning home. Spent the last uh, spent the last four years at Columbus State. Uh, he'll be spending his grad year with the Owls. Uh, he had uh, he spent he's played four years for Columbus State, but three solid seasons. The past three years had strong production while starting as their everyday shortstop. Uh, last year was his best fielding year, over 97%. And if you watch Kennesaw State baseball last year, you'll know that we need third base, we need shortstop, and we need center field. And at least two of those spots have pretty sure bets to be impact-type uh, players there. Um, over his four years at Columbus State, which is Division Two, he hit 32 homers, 149 RBIs, and hit over 300 uh, for career average. Um, if you look uh, a couple years ago in the highlights in the D2 Super Regional, he had a big walk-off home run, three-run shot for Columbus State to give him the win in one of those games. Um, and, you know, just kind of going piggybacking off what I was saying with the shortstop and third base spot, some related news. Uh, Shamar McDuffie, uh, freshman in the 2024 class, is actually reclassified up to 2023 is the rumor. So he he could be foregoing his prep year to give the Owls some additional protection on the left side of the uh, infield. Uh, Kai, what are you what are your takes on this? Uh, yeah, John. I mean, he's really everything you look for in a uh, transfer player. Um, you, I mean, he's in state, local kid. Um, played four years at uh, Columbus State, uh, so he's more than experienced. You know, you get a fifth year senior. Um, he gets on base like it's nobody's business. Uh, his sophomore year at CSU, get on base forty three percent of the time for his career. Uh, gets on base four point oh eight or point four oh eight percent of the time. Um, so yeah, just a machine at the plate. Um, and you know, I think this being one of the first off seasons under co um, just the, the ability to address the needs um, in that left side of the infield uh, I think says a lot about um, the direction of the program under co. So, yeah. 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 And um, you know, us here at uh, Owl chat podcast, we don't, we don't lie to you guys. We say 0. 0.408, not 41, not 41. We tell you the facts and that's what we pride On ourselves on. On the dot, yes. Absolutely. Um, another area that I wanted to kind of mention, last but not least before finishing up here, is the leadership factor. Um, the Owls definitely could use more vocal leadership um, and leadership by example um, in the uh, position player of the position players. So, you know, Nate Anderson and Isaac Bouton are both high quality kids who can really help in that in that department. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to have to see it play out first, but, uh, you know, the team at times last year, maybe felt a bit all over the place. And I think you saw that in the results. Um, 
just general inconsistency. So adding glue guys never hurts. That's for sure. Yeah. And we're going to be adding uh, bodies as well. Uh, Mackenzie Stills, who you guys might know, you know, he played some infield towards the end of last year out of absolute emergency. He was a pitcher for the, you know, the first four years as an owl or whatnot. He's actually going to be, he's planning to be an infielder full time now. So, you know, he was great at second base. So I'm sure he'll start, you know, taking some, uh, taking some reps at uh, third and short. Um, and also we have, you know, John Cooper Williams, who is a very high ranked uh, freshman. He was previously committed to Georgia Tech. I think he'll be able to play, you know, third or short, hopefully gives us an option there. And we have, you know, Landon Tate and Braden Jones or a couple freshmen who could probably play, you know, second and third uh, gives us some options. We have bodies now. And that's, you know, and not to mention Wade Richardson, who played second and was our emergency guy at short and Hudson Mims as well who played, uh, you know, some third short last year also. So, Right. Uh, we've got some news with the rotation as well, if you want to tell them about um, the situation with Blake Wehunt. Yeah, uh, Blake Wehunt, right-handed pitcher. He uh, turned into the Owls' ace, or their Friday night starter, as they say in college, uh, last season. He's an interesting case. So he was a transfer last year from Southern Mississippi. Um, he was He's an older guy. He's probably in his third, fourth year somewhere last year of college. Only had 10 D1 innings or 10 college innings coming into the season because of red shirting and whatnot. Um, and he shined last year. He had a, you know, he throws in the, you know, probably 93, 94, 95 range. And he threw so well for the Owls that he's actually, it sounds like, you know, reading between the tea leaves, he could be picked on day three of the draft this year. So the Owls could be losing one of their starters. Uh, the draft is held on July 11th. Uh, so we're not going to know for sure until a couple weeks out. Um, we hunt again is an interesting case. You know, he, he kind of didn't have any background about him. The Owls took a chance. They found him in the Sunbelt uh, Summer League uh, playing for the Gainesville Gold Diggers, uh, coached by Micah Owings, who you guys might know as a pitcher and uh, a great hitting one at that. And uh, the Owls had some connections there put out an offer to Blake Wehunt last summer and brought him on as a, uh, as a late ad. And he slotted right in at the rotation. And, uh, you know, from my perspective as a fan, losing Blake is going to suck um, if it does happen. However, you know, for the program, it's a great look to get guys drafted, especially when you say, hey, this guy had 10 D1 innings. You know, he has no pedigree here. And he comes in and, you know, you get him drafted after his first year. That that speaks a lot about the development of the program and the opportunity that uh, Blake got and, you know, his hard work to prove himself. So, right. And, you know, it goes for a lot of um, FCS and lower division one schools. Um, but Kennesaw really branding themselves as somewhat of a bounce back school, not like a last chance you junior college type of thing. But in all sports, um, you know, you go down the uh, the football roster online and you see. Um, dozens of guys who are, you know, big time D1 bounce backs. And then, you know, the basketball team this year, uh, you got like a Jamel King from West Virginia, Aranji Gordon from a UAB, uh, you know, Jusan Holt from Bama and UGA. Um, so yeah, if you can market yourself as that program to kind of get back on track, um, and still get noticed, um, I think that's, that's huge. Yeah, and the Owls have a history of doing that as well, uh, bringing in Josh Hatcher for one year, and he ends up uh, getting drafted, I believe, round 10 to the Texas Rangers. I'll have some news on him a little bit later, but, uh, you know, just want to transition now to a little bit more baseball news. Uh, like I said, it's the off season, so we don't have, you know, too much active stuff to talk about. So 
and baseball, you have a lot of summer league kids playing. You have the minor leagues with our alums. You have the MLB draft coming. And you have, you know, basically uh, the transfer portal, which in baseball this year has actually turned into free agency. I mean, kids that aren't even, uh, you know, mind-blowingly good are transferring to bigger schools and they're getting you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars. And, you know, I, I don't like the way baseball is going in that aspect or and sports in general. Yeah, uh, it's certainly an issue just across all of college sports. It's a matter of um, how much of this was going on before and is now just, you know, being recognized. Um, I hope it's not as bad as it seems, but it, it scares me a lot, too. Um, speaking of the draft, it always throws me off that um, Major League Baseball holds their draft, you know, during their season, unlike any other professional sports league. Um, but, yeah, I think we've got some other pro news to get to. Um, yeah. While staying on topic. Absolutely. Uh, just some, a quick rundown. Uh, New York Mets traded Eduardo Escobar to the Angels for uh, Coleman Crow and one other player. Coleman Crow is a, KSU, a former KSU signee, meaning that he signed with the intent to play for the Owls, but he got drafted and chose to sign with the uh, Anaheim Angels and forego going to school. But we still support our signees uh, here on the Owl Chat podcast. Um, he was tearing it up in the pen and double A for the Angels. Just got put on the shelf for elbow inflammation. And uh, Crow actually, uh, uh, Coleman Crow actually has a brother named uh, Cooper, who's a uh, 20, 2024 prospect. So maybe he'll end up with the Owls next year. I guess uh, we'll have to wait and see. Right. Um, unless you got any more baseball news, I think we got some uh, basketball and football to get to as well. Oh man, I just got a, I just got some quick rundowns. Um, oh, play it really on me. Cons- Nothing really to discuss, but I just kind of want to give everybody an update on our players and our alums. Um, Blake Ida, who's in the Cape, uh, won Pitcher of the Week for the Yarmouth uh, Dennis Red Sox uh, last week. Uh, he threw, He's thrown 7.1 innings so far this summer, hasn't given up a run, uh, should provide versatility to KSU this year, uh, could serve as a starter or a late-inning reliever. Um, Oakland Athletics pitcher Richard Lovelady, uh, owl in the big leagues, has been on the DL uh, 15-day DL. I call it the DL because I'm old school. I'm not saying IL. The 15-day disabled list uh, with the left elbow strain, uh, likely retroactive to at least June 16th. So I hope that's nothing more serious when it's an elbow injury. Uh, his last appearance on June 15th was a scoreless inning. Um, he has a 3.86 ERA this year, over 24 innings, uh, with a whip of exactly one. So he was having a good year. Um, Josh Hatcher, who we, we all are familiar with, uh, was promoted from high A Hickory in the Rangers organization to double A Frisco, where he made his double uh, A debut on June 21st. He's hit safely in all the games he's played for them so far and has one dong in four RBIs. Also in double A, you have Tyler Tolvey, former Owls catcher. He's riding a five game hitting streak dating back to the 16th of June, where he's eight for 22 over that span. He's rotating in at uh, catcher so his bat at bats are more limited than hatchers would be uh for double a amarillo in the d-backs organization uh left-handed pitcher jake rice who spent a year with the owls a couple years ago was a lights out friday night guy he's uh he's struggling a little bit giving up a at least a run in three straight appearances uh most recently pitched on june 23rd so hopefully he turns it around but you know we got to give guys that do well and do poorly we got to give them the shout out hopefully he improves by the next time uh we record right speaking of uh love lady it's great to see him be one of the better relievers on one of the worst teams that uh baseball has seen in a very very long time 
Yeah, well, you know, that's the Braves' fault. We could have kept him, but, you know, that's a story <laughs> for another day. Some people get shifted out when you have an organization in like Atlanta. So, you know, no hard feelings. Yeah, he's getting his opportunity, which is what he needed. So, right. Well, if we don't got anything else uh, baseball wise, which we might just want to check with you first. No, no, I'm I'm done. I know that was a lot. Uh, yeah, no, it's all good stuff, though. Uh, we got some more basketball scheduling news. We'll be playing um, at East Carolina in uh, a tournament. Not sure exactly what the format's going to be. If it's going to be like a single elimination type tournament or if it's going to be something like we saw um, against Appalachian State, Campbell, and I think trying to remember who the other school was in that uh, in that group. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm, I think it was like, was it some, wasn't it a Louisiana school? It like was South- uh Southeastern Louisiana. It was uh, Amir's alma mater. Um, but yeah, so uh, teams include Eastern Carolina, Kennesaw State, Georgia Southern and Northeastern University from Massachusetts. So uh, interesting group of teams. Uh, what stands out right off the bat is um, Petway going against his former colleague in uh, Charlie Henry at Georgia Southern. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I just want to uh, make a point on that earlier, Kai. Uh, usually these tournaments, you kind of play each team once. Right. So it's not really like an elimination or competitive tournament. It's more just, you know, a bunch of games. And, you know, if you win all three, then you get to, you know, say, hey, I won the tournament. Uh, no, you know, not really any prizes or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, Charlie Henry of Georgia Southern versus Petway, that's going to be a game. You know, Petway is going to uh, gonna want to win. Um, so hopefully we can pull that one out. Um, a couple other notes here. Uh, Northeastern is led by Bill Cohen, who worked under Al Skinner at Rhode Island and Boston College. And, um, you know, both, all the teams in the tournament were, you know, around or under 500 last year. So there's not really any kind of world beater in the tournament. It's really anybody's, uh, uh, the other teams. Kennesaw right. State, of course, was over 500, but there's not really any world beater where we have to, you know, play like a, you know, a Belmont or any kind of buzz buzzsaw. Right, right, right. Uh, ECU has become somewhat of a consistent program in the American, but they uh, they still have a long way to go. Um, I think they went 16 and 17 last year, um, but still miles ahead of what they used to be as a basketball program. Yeah, Georgia Southern was 17 and 16, Northeastern 10 and 20. So that's going to be an interesting tournament. And, you know, I've heard some rumblings of some other exciting scheduling news uh, with Kennesaw State men's basketball that, you know, I hopefully will know in the coming weeks. Uh, so I, I can't really uh, say that yet, but uh, I think I think everybody's going to be pretty happy uh, with what's going to come out. I do believe you teased it on the last podcast. So if you want yes. any other uh, hints, go back and listen to that, y'all. Um, basketball, we also have a few uh, new offers in the 2024 class. Um, the one that stuck out to me was um, six, seven forward Cannon Richards, just because he got offered. Uh, essentially right after Kennesaw State held a uh, high school team camp. Ah, I, I did not even know that. Um, and it's always interesting when you have a, uh, you know, a six, seven guy uh, local from Kell High School. His only out, his only offers from what I've seen are Alabama A&M and Catawba, which right. isn't too, too impressive. So I'm, I'm thinking we got in on the, on the ground floor of him and got in early, hopefully. Right. Well, when it's a situation like that and you offer him after a team camp, it's because, you know, he uh, really impressed the coaching staff in person. And maybe it was, you know, the first time he was on any of their radars. But uh, he clearly stood out at that team camp last weekend. So, yeah, you don't earn an offer, you know, for nothing. Uh, Not not in these days, maybe back then, but not right now. And uh, another offer 
that uh, stood out to me. Another local offer was Ricky McKenzie, six four guard. Uh, it stood out because it's you know Wheeler High School, uh, Mir Abdul Rahim's uh, alma mater, and always want to give a shout out to the Cobb County kids. So, right, right, right. And then there was also six four guard uh, Adrian Woolley, who uh, stands out for different reasons. If you go down his Twitter list, um, a lot of really impressive uh, mid major offers. Um, so it's good to see us in the mix. He's also uh, a Paul Bryant High School guy, uh, same as Jamel King. Um, so, yeah, just, right, exactly. And then, you know, it's Petaway still kind of farming that general Tuscaloosa area. You love to see it. Yeah. And, and you know, he's also got one in Memphis, too, with Christian Alston, uh, holds offers from Middle Tennessee, East Tennessee. And if there was a West Tennessee, I bet they would offer too, but there is no West Tennessee. So, you know, he has some others like Samford. So that's really the rundown. You know, I'm sure we're offering some 2025 guys, maybe 2026, but we don't want to cover that too much here since it's so far out. There's really doesn't make too much sense. Um, But I do have one quick note just to get some women's basketball stuff on the show. Um, they offered a trio of 2025 prospects, all from Hebron Christian in uh, Dekula, Georgia. So uh, just a shout out to Coach Octavia Blue and her staff for uh, getting that done. Yeah, that's a chemistry thing, you would hope. Um, but yeah, women's basketball is on the rise. And I don't think enough people around Kennesaw State Athletics realize that. So, yeah, it's it's going to be different without Amani Johnson. Um, it's going to kind of, you know, feel kind of like a year one again. You know what I mean? Because right. Amani kind of, to me, represented the Baronado years. Um, and now, you know, all the players belong to Coach Blue. You know, the point guard's going to belong to Coach Blue. All, you know, it just, it's just going to have a different feel to it. And, you know, which is exciting, uh, but we'll have, to, we'll have to see how it goes. Right. And you wonder uh, to what extent the, uh, the national relevance of the men's team helps to attract attention to the women's team, just recruiting-wise. You know, I'm not going to pretend like I know um, everything there is to know about women's basketball recruiting. But uh, I think as I a whole, everything. the basketball program, I'm sure you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, um, you just just quiz me. No, right. I, I know I know next to nothing. So, Right. But, uh, yeah. but moving on, moving on to the next topic, um, we do have just a uh, just quick football, a couple quick football offers to run through. Again, we're only touching on 2024s going a year ahead here on the Owl Chat podcast. Uh, Jaden Grimes from uh, – Pope High School. He's a 6'3", 270 defensive lineman, uh, reporting offers from Austin P, Alabama State, and Morehouse. Again, he's a local kid, so I want to definitely make sure to give him a shout out. And also the other offer is uh, Tyler McKinstry, uh, 5'10", 175 DB from Westlake, uh, which I believe is where uh, Cam Newton played. And Cam Newton also played basketball in high school. And I know that because I remember him playing my high school team when I was in high school. And I and we beat them for the state championship. So shout out to Dunwoody High School. Um, and, you know, McKinstry currently committed to the evil KSU, otherwise known as Kent State. Uh, but the fact that he tweeted out the Kennesaw State offer and he's even talking to other teams kind of says to me that the offer is not that strong. Uh, he reports offers from other schools such as Army, Mercer, a couple Ivies and a couple others. So, uh, you know, that's just the football rundown for the recruiting side. Uh, also, I want to mention uh, Nathan Burton, new defensive coordinator, was interviewed by Nolan Alexander. Uh, this past week, um, he he talked a little bit about the team, you know, what he's been doing with them this summer, the coming season, all of that kind of stuff. Just some interesting notes. And you can watch the whole interview. It's probably about five to six minutes. I, I, all this stuff that I'm mentioning, I tweet out on at KSU Owl Howl. Um, he mentioned how in his final year at Georgia Tech, 
he was a grad assistant. He overlapped with Coach Bo Hannon, and he mentioned how Coach Bo hasn't really changed that much. Uh, mentioned he's always hard but fair, challenges them, and demands the best. Uh, when he described a bit of his defense's personality, he says he wants him to be wants to be aggressive early, aggressive late, and aggressive in between. And I can't argue that. That's a uh, a pretty good bumper sticker. Um, he wants an attacking defense who'll fly at the ball. Uh, Burton says he comes into work every day, tries to be, you know, the same person, positive attitude, relationship builder, that sort of thing. And he's been pleased with the effort from the defense so far. Um, yeah, so I recommend everyone checking that out. It's going to be a really interesting uh, perspective brought to KSU um, coming from the USFL, you know, um, also a major asset having recruited the state of Georgia a lot throughout his career. Um, I think uh, Burton's going to be the right fit. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I was not the biggest fan when it was announced, but he's grown on me um, a fair amount. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I, I'm I'm giving everybody a chance. That's kind of, that's kind of my policy as a Kennesaw state fan. Um, I used to not be the same way, but you know, now my, my old age, I'm, I'm a little bit more forgiving. So, you know, I give everyone a blank slate, let them prove themselves and um, you know, hopefully they deliver. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to Coach Burton. I never had, you know, i not a Georgia Tech fan. I don't watch a lot of their games, so I didn't really have a preconceived notion. Um, all I know is that, you know, Coach Bo has known him for 15 years, apparently, and that's, you know, he knows the type of coach that he's going to be getting. Right. Um, so I think we've gotten through all the news, unless you've got uh, anything else to add. Yeah, I just want to run down some quick news and notes, and then we'll get on to our uh, main discussion. Um there was a, a good article that you guys should check out on uh, Kennesaw.edu. And again, I retweeted it. It's about, uh, it features three coaches who were former players at Kennesaw State, and they returned to coach their sports. Like Chandler Burks, who was a QB for the football team, Bria Dickey, who now coaches for softball, and Simon Pritchard, who played tennis and coaches for the uh, tennis team at KSU. So that's a good article to check out. Um, another another good article that I saw in the past uh, couple of days was about Drew Plant. He did analytics with Kennesaw State. I think it was it 2019 to 2022. So he's that guy in the background who did a lot of the grunt work. Um, he parlayed his experience at KSU into a scouting position with the uh, Anaheim, Los Angeles, California, whatever they want to be called, Angels. So call I call the California Angels. <laughs> I'll call. I'll just call them the Angels. Yeah, the Fighting and, uh, Otani's. There, the fighting Otanis. There we go. I'm not going to be blooper and get in trouble by calling them anything out of name. So, um, you know, I'm just going to call. Uh, I'm just going to call them the uh, fighting Otanis. Um, as far as other news, I saw that KSU tweeted out a profile of Amalika Gadaparthi. She was a uh, women's. Uh, ten- uh, she's a women's tennis player here at Kennesaw State. What caught my eye was that the uh, profile was done by Spencer Rogers who was apparently an intern for the OWL Network in the spring. So he has a uh, little byline on that uh, article on the site, uh, which was cool to see. Uh, Just final news and notes. Uh, Sarah Hendrick was uh, the first OWL in case two track and field history to earn academic first team All-American honors. Uh, Congrats to Sarah. And track and field has signed uh, Alina Griffin. uh, I'm sorry, Alina Harris of Griffin High School. Her main event is the 100-meter hurdles. Uh, men's golf has in Kyle Bashowski, a transfer from College of Charleston, and also a two-time GHSA All-State selection. And that's the rundown. Great news and notes around North Cobb County. Uh, love where the uh, the non-Reb sports are heading. Um, seems like they've been trending in the right direction for a long time. 
Um, but yeah, we're going to get into an article that I'm going to go more in depth on um, on Saturday. Um, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to share our lists of or our rankings, per se, um, of every head men's basketball coach in Kennesaw State Owls history, excluding uh, Phil Zanoni, the godfather of Kennesaw State men's basketball. Sounds good. Let's do it. I'll, I'll let you start up and kind of give your list. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be similar to mine. There's there's not too much debate, but it's also it's always fun to talk about and kind of, uh, you know, reminisce about the, you know, the coaches and the history of the school. Absolutely. So uh, I in my final spot, I have Lewis Preston, um, who posted a nine and 72 record in his time um, as Al's head coach. Um, and just out of curiosity, um, after finding that his winning percentage was 0.118 um, as head coach of the Owls, I decided to go down the rabbit hole of coaches who may or may not have uh, worse winning percentages than him. Um, the one that stands out the most right now is Kenny Payne of Louisville, who is sitting at 125. See, if he loses his first two games next season, he will be sitting right below the Skinner line, as I have decided to call it. Um, it's a brutal list. Um, you got a guy like Lance Irvin who, uh, coached at Chicago state for three years, put up a, a winning percentage of 0. 0.100. Um, Lindsay Hunter, a uh, former NBA player, uh, played 17 years in the league at, uh, he was great uh, for the Pistons. He was a solid, uh, solid player for the Pistons at, uh, Missouri Valley state university, uh, Jerry Rice's alma mater, um, posted a winning percentage of 0. 0.085. Um, there is a coach, uh, from the thirties by the name of Dick Moles, who coached at the Colorado school of the mines. You might want to get that checked out. I mean, I was not sure it was a real person. Um, but apparently Colorado school of the mines used to be recognized as division one by the NCAA in the thirties, predating the NCAA tournament. Kai, he posted a winning percentage. That's a fake name. That's a fake name and a fake school. So I refuse to believe it. Well, they had a second, um, they had a second head coach who didn't win a game that I'm not going to mention, but his uh, sports reference page is parentheses unknown Graham. Um, and I think he was like, Oh, and 11 uh, as his time in his time as a head coach. So uh, Mr. Redacted would also have made the list, but I'm I like to keep in unknown. that's a cooler name. Parentheses unknown. PU. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a, it's a shocker. He even like, you know, made some sort of record book with his name or one of his names. I'm sure his family must be proud. Um, yeah. And then uh, the bottom of the modern era is a man named Dan Jones, um, who posted a 0.77 uh, winning percentage at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, who is still Division I, um, but uh, very low-level mid-major. So, yeah. Uh, low major. Very low yeah, major. We'll say low major. Uh, lowest of majors. Um, but, yeah, I assume that you have Preston at your last spot as well. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I can't. Unfortunately, I, I love Lewis Preston. He's a great man, great character. He was just not cut out for the job. And, you know, the, uh, I started following Kennesaw State. You know, I was here from the beginning of the Lewis Preston era, and he came from Florida. You know, there, there were rumors that Billy Donovan didn't even give him a high, you know, a high mark. And, you know, I think kind of the AD kind of shoehorned him in there. But, um, you know, it, it, it just brings back bad memories. Um, unfortunately, he's kind of like he was kind of like a running joke um, in terms of incompetence, that sort of thing. 
Um, I, you know, he spent what, two years here, two and a half years here. Didn't make it through the season. We went like, oh, and 18 in conference his first year. I remember going to a game. I wore a bag on my head, kind of like Frank the Tank and the Mets thing. I was ahead of my time. Um, at that time I was inspired more by the Cleveland Browns, um, than, you know, anything else. But, um, you know, there is a picture I tweeted out a couple of days ago. So if you want to check at KSU Owl Howell, you'll see that picture of me with the bag on my head. Um, but Lewis Preston, you know, I used to have a media pass for KSU. They used to do a press conference after every single game in a little room just outside the convocation center. And it's a small room and you kind of see Lewis Preston with the stat sheet in his hand. He's, you know, kind of looks angry. He's, you know, his body language is bad. He's like rubbing his face with his fingers and just looking at the sheet and, you know, seeing, you know, how we lost by 30 points that game. And and then they, you know, they put him on camera and he has to kind of explain like the indefensible, you know what I mean? I kind of feel right. bad for him, like looking back on it, like, dude, you lost, like, you know, let's not put out any content. Like when Amir was getting, you know, drilled in 2019, 2020, you know, they weren't putting on him on camera at his lowest moments. So right. I, I, looking back, I just feel bad for Lewis Preston. You could find those press conferences. I think that's still on YouTube. If you dig, if you really dig, I was uh, able but, to find one after a win, which I was uh, surprised by. I'm more surprised. Yeah. Like we won. Yeah. They did win two conference games uh, in his time. Oh, I know we won one or two against Chattanooga. I know we beat, uh, I believe Corpus, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Um, Tournament team last year. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we beat Mercer. We beat Mercer. I think it was under Lewis Preston. It was the craziest game I've ever seen. I think that was his second year here. Um, we shot 54 free throws that game. 54. And I don't even think it was overtime. It was like one of those divine intervention games where everything was a foul. Everything went our way. We had the momentum. We were at home. It was, it was like the, the peak of the Lewis Preston era. And then everything just was, was, wasn't bad. So. so let me ask you, since you were a student uh, during the Preston era, what was that game day experience like? Um, well, the game day experience probably it was it was I guess I honestly don't remember. I don't think it was too great. Um, you know, I would have remembered that. But I like in my mind, I can't conceptualize, you know, one year versus the next. You know what I mean? Like, right. I remember it was best the closer, you know, like, like during the Tony Ingle era. I remember a game versus Mercer. It was really built up like a rivalry. The place was packed. The Georgia Tech game under Coach Ingle was packed. But kind of like every year farther out from Ingle, every year that we sucked, it kind of got, I think, a little bit more empty. And there just wasn't, you know, too much excitement until last year, to be honest with you. So Right, right. Well, if you don't mind, we can move on to uh, slightly less horrible times um, and talk about my next coach, who is Jimmy Lolithan. Um, I have a feeling that you'll agree with me. Yes. Um, I wouldn't say slightly less horrible. Well, I guess. I mean, that was rock bottom, I, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I was here for Coach Lowthan too. Um, he was Coach Preston's, uh, he was Coach Preston's assistant actually on his staff. Uh, he lasted the whole time under Coach Preston and then kind of took his job, I think, on an interim basis and was named the uh, head coach a little bit later. Um, you know, we played, we played a little bit better under coach Lawton. Um, I don't know if it was better players, you know, more senior players. I don't know what it was. I think we were just a, a touch better. We were kind of like almost halfway respectable, but, um, you know, the chemistry was just deteriorating. I remember one right. player who I'm not going to name told me like, you know, when Lawton, you know, uh, got, uh, got let go. 
you know, if he comes back, the whole team's leaving. Again, take that for what it's worth. Uh, so I, it was just, again, it's, it's, he's so closely associated with Lewis Preston because he worked under him and kind of transitioned into him. It doesn't really feel like a new era. It just kind of right. feels like the second half of the Lewis Preston era. Right. Well, you uh, you said the words uh, slightly more respectable, which at the time after what Preston put the program through was enough to get him the gig. Um, but also it says a lot. And, you know, I wasn't around at the time, but it says a lot that you pull the cord on one guy uh, after just one season. So. Oh, yeah, that's it's not good. And also, you know, I, I also want to mention on Lewis Preston, he did not inherit you know, a great situation. Uh, when he was here, I don't, I don't felt, I don't feel like a lot of the players valued academics like they should have. And, you know, I think we were under some penalties and, you know, I don't think he was even allowed to recruit, you know, Juco players. So, you know, the effort to start up the program with his footprint on it, we have to bring in, you know, a lot of, I think like seven high school kids. So, you know, it was just a, it was a very tough situation back then. The school was not what it is now with the branding, the recognition, you know, much newer to D1, you know, the department probably wasn't as good as it is now. Um, so it, it was just a different era. But anyways, let's go on to the next on your list. Yeah, um, so I'm going to make it known now that I'm choosing to exclude also uh, Greg Yarlett, who coached for four years from 1996 till 2000. Put up a decent D2 record, um, but, you know, never got the chance to coach D1, unlike Engel. So I'm going to choose not to mention Yarlett nor Zanoni uh, in this list. But uh, we take another very slight step up uh, to Al Skinner. Um, brought in as a big I, I time now. Sorry to interrupt, but I disagree completely on Al Skinner here. I would put definitely right now Antoine Petway here. Really? I, I was going to exclude Petway as well. But, no, I, uh, I was, I'm not going to exclude him. I will put him over Lewis Preston and Jimmy Lawton because <laughs> it can't be worse. Right, right. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, I know you're highly opinionated on Skinner too. Um, and you were around for a lot of that time. So, uh, you know, uh, I get what the school was trying to do. Um, it's a recognizable name where it was a recognizable name. Uh, he had a lot of success at both Rhode Island and Boston college. That being said, um, from what I can tell, uh, uh, Skinner saw Kennesaw state as a retirement job and one that he was just never going to take all that seriously. Yeah, that's pretty much the perception. And, you know, uh, a columnist, I forget his name for one of the Boston, uh, he he was on, uh, you know, one of those ESPN shows around the horn or whatever. He wrote a, a column blistering Skinner uh, for how lazy he was, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't want to diss Al Skinner. I've met Al Skinner. He's a very nice man, a good person, a stand up individual, but he was not the fit for Kennesaw State. Um, Al Skinner re- relied on his assistance to do a lot of the work. And when you're at a school like Boston College that has, you know, pays fairly well, I'm sure compared to a lot of schools, you can find, you know, if you hire well, you can find good assistants to really put in the work and, you know, retain them. And uh, they kind of delivered the players. Al kind of put it together and made it work. When he came to Kennesaw State, he doesn't really have that. You had, uh, you know, so probably one guy who I would consider, you know, pretty decent uh, D1 assistant coach, and then a couple other guys. Um, we really couldn't, uh, really couldn't uh, recruit. Um, you know, he didn't recruit the Atlanta area. He was doing his national recruiting approach, you know, getting a lot of guys from the Northeast, all that kind of stuff, just from connections. And, you know, we had a few decent players, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't get those dudes from Atlanta. It was just a lot of out of area stuff. And, 
you know, it ended up uh, it ended up starting well because we had, you know, some players that were brought in by, uh, you know, Lawton and Preston, you know, Kendrick Ray. You had uh, Yanel Brown, he, uh, Nick Masterson. Um, all those guys were very good players. And then kind of as it, as the time went on, we got a little bit worse and worse as more Al Skinner players and less depth permeated through the rotation until he was pushed out. So. I think the coolest thing about Skinner's time in Kennesaw was the death of the flex offense because Kennesaw is truly the place where the flex offense died in college basketball. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, that's what we're known for, for our bat. No, until, until last year, <laughs> that's what we were known for. But uh, a fun thing about Al Skinner in his contract, I, you can find this on the internet somewhere. Like he had a country club membership, like out his image for being, you know, too, I don't want to say lazy, but too laid back. And you have a you make KSU buy you a country club membership. Like, dude, you should be on the road looking at players grinding, you know, That's not true. driving around in a in a company car at a country club. Um, you know, again, you know, I don't want to bash the guy. He's a good man, just like Lewis Preston, but it, it was just a terrible hire by Vaughn Williams. And, you know, Vaughn Williams just it's like, I know this guy, I'm gonna put my name on it, you know, I'm gonna just bring him in. He's a proven coach. I think that's what um, they were going for at the time. Uh, you know, a guy that has a record and, you know, if Al Skinner fails, look, look at what he's done. You can't blame me for that. That's not my right. fault. So I think that's kind of the approach that uh, Vaughn Williams was going for. And it was definitely, you know, the wrong one. No hate on Kennesaw as a uh, city, but kind of an odd place to choose a retirement job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, yeah. if I'm Al Skinner, I'm trying to work at like one of those low level California state schools or something. Yeah, go down to go down to Fort Myers or, and get like an internship with Florida Gulf Coast. Exactly. Uh, well, side note: one of my least favorite college campuses, by the way, <laughs> was Florida not Gulf a fan Coast? of FGCU. Not really? at all. Yeah. Why not? Uh, place was dead. To be fair, it was a weekend. Um, I personally just don't love Florida. It's too flat, too hot for me. So, um, and that was all Fort Myers was. Uh, I was looking for something to do during the day before the basketball game. And uh funnest thing I could find was a pool hall. So I went and played pool for about four hours. No, dude, you uh, gotta check out the early room. bird dinner. Man, I I should do that next year <laughs> if we go back down there. That's where all their fans come from. They go right to the early bird dinner. They maybe squeeze in an episode of Wheel of Fortune, hosted by Pat Sajak, not Ryan Seacrest, and then they go right to the game. Sounds like a great time if you're uh 50, 60 years old. I'm pumped. <laughs> Let's do bingo right? next time. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I remember I got there like two hours before the game just because there was nothing else to do uh, and just ended up talking to uh, Mark from the athletic department <laughs> for a little while. So, but yeah, a little side tangent there about Florida Gulf Coast. Um, yeah, thank God cell phones were invented. Otherwise, oh my God, that would have been horrible. <laughs> right, should have taken Al Skinner off their hands or off of our hands. Yes. But uh, I think we can get into the top two now. Um, and uh I teased on Twitter earlier that we might have a fair bit of controversy here, but I think you and I are on the same page. Yes. From what we talked about earlier, briefly. Absolutely. Right. So I have AAR Amir Abdurrahim at number two, um, simply because I think a division two national title means a little bit more than an NCAA tournament appearance. And, and that's arguable um, to be honest with you. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I just think it, it's so close. Um, 
Now, if if we were, you know, if we were solid for the first three years of Amir, you know, I would give it to him. But right. we were we were, you know, obviously he had to had a lot of work to do, had to rebuild the brand, rebuild the reputation, you know, you know, get his commits, get his people in there. It takes time. And right. I'm not saying that, you know, it should have been done faster or anything like that. But, you know, it's like one good season and then bail. It's it's kind of like, you know, tough to, you know, give a guy off one good season. I saw a tweet actually earlier um, from Sauce Gardner, Jets cornerback. And, you know, they put him in a photo with Champ Bailey and Richard Sherman. And it's like, which two are you going to keep? And and Sauce tweeted something like, man, I've been doing this for one year. These guys have 10 plus <laughs> seasons. And that's kind of where I stand on this uh, debate. Right. And look, I don't blame Amir. This is another conversation. I don't blame Amir for taking the USF job, you know, take the bag while you can. Um, that being said, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, Ingles, you know, consistent winning seasons even at the d2 level and you know his time coaching before kennesaw and his time coaching after kennesaw um says more about him as a basketball coach um than what amir's resume says for him and he and he uh helped transition ksu from uh d1 from d2 to d1 and was the head coach during the entire transition period where we were ineligible for four years um, for the tournament. Not that we would have made it anyway in those years, but um, he did kind of help that. And, you know, that's great on him. Um, you know, Amir, uh, you know, he brought in some excellent players. Um, he kind of helped turn this thing around. But, and like you said, you can't fault the guy for taking the money. But, you know, I kind of got the sense that Amir, you know, he, it, it, that was always going to be the case when you get right. a guy like Amir. Um, you know, he came in, he probably took the low ball offer. Um, I don't know any facts, but I'm guessing that Amir, you know, took the low ball offer when, when, when he was hired. And if we had more money back then, I'm guessing Petway would have been our man to begin with. That's right. just me. That's just me guessing. I don't have any solid facts to back that up. But, um, you know, so when he got the chance to, you know, get his money, you know, he took it and didn't hesitate. And I think that's always his plan. And, you know, when you have a flashy guy like Amir, you know, who's a smooth talker. He could probably, you know, wiggle his way into interviews and oh, yeah. you know, smooth the ADs and get jobs. You know, it's it's probably not that difficult for him. So, Right. And he had a few kind of uh, obscure things going for him, too, coming in. Um, obviously, name recognition. Um, you know, his brother was a stud in the NBA for a very long time. Yes. Uh, that and just being from Cobb County, I'm sure, uh, helped a lot in that interview process. Oh, um, definitely. Definitely. But then he had kind of a weird career trajectory, you know, because you go from the one and 28 season and then even the the five and 19 season where it's like, you know, OK, we're deciding to invest in this guy um, rather than the end of the tournament run season where it's him deciding whether or not to invest in the school, you know, so it never really felt or it doesn't seem like it was ever like a mutually beneficial relationship, if that makes sense. Well, I, I, I kind of disagree. I think it was mutually beneficial. Um, KSU gets back on track. Um, he put it back on track. You know, he made the school more respectable. Uh, put a, you know, people know who Kennesaw State is now because of the tournament run. We're no longer a laughing stock. Um, you know, he did that. He rehabilitated the image. He took some hits on his own end, um, you know, getting there. Because I had my doubts about Amir. I didn't think it was going to happen. But, you know, he he managed to get it done. And 
just something interesting about Amir that, you know, kind of got, I was thinking about never said after the tournament, you know, when he was crying or whatnot at like the press conference or tearing up, whatever it was, you know, I think he knew at that time in his mind, he was gone. Um, Like, I think that's why, like he's like, he knows, like, I love this school. I love these guys, but you know, I know I'm not coming back and I know like the end of it. Yeah, it felt like the end of it for him, as opposed to, all right, this is just the beginning. We're going to regroup, same group next year. Let's get back to it. And that's, again, just my opinion. Right. Uh, I do think it swung um, both ways uh, during the offseason a little bit. You could kind of see him going in and out of, like, heavy Twitter activity um, after the tournament. In just the weeks following, there was, like, the rumor about him interviewing for Cal. um, And then he, like, you know, that blew over. Um, It was clear that he wasn't going to take the Cal job. Uh, he started doing radio interviews again in Atlanta and then kind of went quiet. And then all of a sudden he takes the USF job, you know, a week or two later, uh, young blood Stroud and Jennings head the same way. So, yeah. Um, it, was I, so, it was so weird. Like, yeah, he was, you know, and that's what I, that's what I didn't like, you know, like a lot of people feel the same way, but you know, he mentioned Kennesaw is not a stepping stone. This is home. You know, he goes on the radio, you know, doing all this Kennesaw state promotion. And then like days later, you know, you're going to complete 180. You know what I mean? People are panicking, you know, like what just happened? Like we just got hit and didn't even know it. Right. Well, that's the tough thing about being a coach is, uh, you know, you got to keep your 10 year plan intact um, and sell everybody on your 10 year plan um, while only going one year at a time. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just glad that, uh, you know, we were able to keep um, Terrell Burden and Damon Robinson uh, because if he took those guys with him, so I'm not saying he could have because, you know, Rob, I don't know Robinson's transfer situation or their situation or anything like that. But, man, that would have been devastating. I feel like the fact that we got to keep those guys and shout out to Coach Petway, Robinson and Burden, you know, that is going to help transition us to the Petway era. Without right. those guys, it sort of feels like starting over again. But now it kind of feels like we can compete right away. And, you know, kind of use those guys for one, a one-year rental to piggyback us into another respectable year, you know, keep playing good, keep getting players and so forth. Right. And it goes back to what you said. He left the program better than he inherited it. So, you know, I guess that's all you can really ask for. I do wonder what that uh, conversation was like with Burden and Robinson, because there had to be one. I mean, he cares about those guys. Yeah. Um, the room, you know, I think he went to, I forget who it was. I think he showed up at the Kennesaw state graduation or whatever to be with Robinson or whatnot. So, you know, he cared about those guys. Um, and that was when he was, you know, already at USF, like he came back to, you know, Kennesaw, but, um, the conversation had to, you know, been pretty simple. Like I, I heard that, like, and let's not forget Simeon Cottle. Like I heard, you know, just rumors through the grapevine that those guys burden and, you know, Cottle were close to, you know, close to leaving. And then, you know, uh, Petway came in and everything just settled down real fast. And, you know, that speaks to the, you know, the people skills that he has um, and, you know, the way he can, you know, connect with his players in the community. Right. So, yeah, that takes us to our number one spot, unless you've got any more gushing to do over Amir. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I'm done. Right. Um, and obviously it's Tony Ingle, um, as we mentioned before, um, I think on both of our lists, um, the only Kennesaw state head coach, um, to coach in division one and have a winning record, not necessarily simultaneously, but he did have a career winning record and did coach at the D one level. Um, you know, highlights of his career include the three straight D two tournament runs, including the national title. 
Um, and like you said, towards the end of his tenure, I mean, uh, they were filling up the place. So nothing but respect for Engel. But we also had a winning year last year. So besides last Correct. year. Correct. I mean, uh, for a career. Uh, Engel oh, okay. is the only coach who had a winning record for his career or for Got his uh, tenure at Kennesaw and coached at the Division One level. Got it. My While fault. not yeah. simultaneously. But yeah, very specific ESPN type stat. <laughs> yes. And rest in peace, Coach Engel passed away. Feels like uh, from, I believe, COVID complications probably a year or two ago. Um, that was, you know, tough news for the program. Um, you know, Coach Ingle, Coach Ingle is an interesting guy. You know, I've never met him in person, but, you know, he's a personality, um, just the true definition of a personality. Like you go up to him and you'll get some kind of quote for an article and you'll be able to run with it. Like after we beat Georgia Tech, he's like, we got the, we got the Wendy's offense. You just get it and go and, or something like that. And, you know, you just go, like, he's a character, man. He's, and that's, you know, that's what people love about uh, Coach Angle. He's very, like, folksy and all that kind of stuff. Um, so he did have a lot of success. D2 National Championship. I think we were also in, like, the championship game another year. Um, I'm not sure. It's, you know, my brain is overflowing with Kennesaw State information, so it's kind of overrun. So forgive me on this. The, the um, Division two years can get cloudy, too, with the lack of information that the school provides. <laughs> yes, and because I wasn't around back then to, like, experience it in person, it's kind of, like, more of a a memory like watching right. you know old sports on tv or you know old wrestling matches from people like before my time so right it was cool to see some of the uh alumni rocking the, the old school division two uniforms um at some of the games later last season i don't know if you saw that but um oh i did it was i mean they were like rec league jerseys you know no no sponsorship logo no anything <laughs> yeah yeah we were Russell athletic for a while um before we were adidas uh, sponsored by Russell and they kind of sucked. And, um, you know, we had the, the scrappy that looked kind of like a rat, uh, <laughs> instead of an owl. So, you know, things, you know, our branding didn't really get on point until what, probably like 2013, 2014, 2015, somewhere around there. It had to come with the football program. So, yeah, yeah, it was, un- it was unacceptable. Uh, but coach Ingle, you know, I, I, I don't have any facts, you know, the guy could coach basketball. That's, there's no, nothing about that. But, um, you know, he had some talented players. I just, you know, when we got to the D1 level, I just I just don't know how well he transitioned. I don't know about the support staff that he had, right. um, you know, with the players that he chose to bring in. You know, I think the culture was very much lacking. Uh, right. I was in class with a lot of guys on the teams back then, and I kind of felt like they were like, you know, those high school type kids talking in class, sleeping in class, not very, you know, not very respectful you know, a, a lot of those got some of those guys you might find on like the mug sheets, mugshot sheets online every now and then for something stupid. So, you know, back then, you know, I, I just don't think the transition was done well. I don't know if it's the school was not communicating. Hey, these this is the GPA. This is what's required now on the academic side. I don't know if, you know, Coach Ingle took that into account, but it just seemed like, you know, it just kind of felt like he left KSU you know, on a low key, not the best, not the best terms. And I wish they would have been a little bit better. Um, right. I'm glad that we finally honored him, you know, a year or two ago um, after he passed and he's getting some of the, you know, the recognition that he deserves. Totally. Um, I think it's really important that he stuck with the school uh, through that transition and through the four year period of being ineligible, you know, if nothing else, it shows that he cared um after he left Kennesaw he went and killed it at the NAIA level at Dalton State so like you said the guy could coach basketball 
Yes. He was great at Dalton State. And he brought uh, Ladarius Green, I believe, with him, a former uh, very good player for uh, Kennesaw State basketball for a year, the year or two he was here. Um, and, you know, of course, if you're great, if you're good at Kennesaw, you're going to be good at Dalton State. So, right, right. So here's the question I'll ask you. Um, who was more important for Kennesaw State basketball? And, you know, this is going to be a developing question um, with what Kenway does. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think you beat out everybody on this list. So <laughs> I at least beat out I at least beat out Lewis Preston. OK, so. I think you've contributed more to the Kennesaw State Athletic Department than Preston ever did. So not to blow my own <laughs> horn, but I'll agree. But I'm not going to put myself any higher than that. OK, maybe you beat out Wallathan. <laughs> uh, that's that's a debate. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, your work has accounted to at least 13 wins, right? Ah, is that where we're at? I'm gonna... That was what uh, Lollathan was at. Um, ah, I'd say 16 to, 16 to 17, you know, with a couple maybe NAIA D3 wins in there. Yeah. Right. That. There you go. But yeah, who uh, was a more important figure for the program, in your opinion, uh, Amir or Ingle? Oh, that's a... <laughs> that's a good question because there are very different reasons that you could argue yes. both. I will, I will say Tony Engel, um, because without Tony Engel and the success we had, I don't think we have a mirror. I don't think we have division one basketball. And uh, you know, that's just my take. I don't know anything for a fact, but that's just my opinion. What do you think? Um, I think it's to be decided or to be determined. Um, we'll see where, Kennesaw State basketball is in five years um, because there's still a chance that this was a flash in the pan and that, you know, Petway has no idea what he's doing and he's in over his head. And, you know, this all comes crashing down and we, you know, we're where we were at when Preston was at the helm in just a more competitive conference. Um, That being said, I think I agree with you. Um, There's no guarantee that Kennesaw uh, State becomes D1 if it wasn't for the success that Engel had. Um, But it'll be an interesting thing to watch develop. But yeah, and you're, and to comment on the Petway thing, I mean, you're always going to have that situation at our level, right? We're like a feeder system. You know what I mean? If somebody has success at class A in baseball, they're going to be called up to, to double A. Exactly. You exactly. Double A, you might go to the bigs or triple A next. So, you know, Amir did his part, you know, in the race. He handed off the baton. You know, we got Petway in, who's a good hire. Um, he did his part. Um, how Petway does it from here on, I can see what you mean by how like, in the long run, like it's gonna it's gonna look like a flash in the pan, but it's kind of like you know Amir did his part in the relay. Now it's up to Petway to kind of go do right. his part in the relay race. Right. Well, I'm saying I'm hoping it's not a flash in the pan, you know, uh, and I don't think we're gonna be able to tell after this year. Um, I think there's a real chance, you know, it takes a while for Petway to get his uh, get his guys going, um, and we start slow, and then you know he turns out to be a great coach and takes us back to the tournament, and then leaves. Uh, right after, you know, and I would still find that a success, but I think there's a lot of feeling out to do as a program because it's not only our first time being winners, but it's our first time having a coach jump ship on us. Yeah, that's that's a nice feeling, Um, but also a bad feeling. Um, And we're going to be moving up to Conference USA, which is going to be much more competitive. Um, You're not going to have those, you know, gimme games in the A-Sun. You'd be able to rack up some wins just by teams that completely suck. You're not going to have as many of those. And, you know, you're going to have probably a little bit more size, a little bit more athleticism. And, you know, Coach Petway needs to get his guys in there, get them ready to play. And uh, another note about Petway versus AAR, um, 
Petway has, you know, I think he's done more hands-on in terms of the coaching with the offense at Alabama. I think he's more prepared to make the jump from, um, you know, from assistant to head coach more than Amir was. Um, and Petway also added Robert Kirby to his staff, who has right. 40 years of experience. So I don't think Amir had that guy in year one. He had Ben Fletcher, who was a veteran, you know, assistant, uh, you know, 10, 15 years of experience there. You had Tanner Smith and you had Pershing Williams. Smith and Williams were young guys. Like you're leaning on Ben Fletcher. Um, number one, Petway's going to have more experience, more relevant experience working under different coaches, probably being more hands-on with different aspects. Whereas I kind of feel like Amir might have been more pigeonholed into the recruiter expertise role. Right. Whereas Petway, I think, kind of does, it just feels like, again, just my opinion, might have done a little bit more of uh, a little bit more of everything. Right. Well, I think what they both had going for him or what Amir had going for him and what Petway will have going for him is just being player coaches. Um, the players seem to all love Amir. Um, so far, they seem to all love uh, Petway. So, you know, I, yeah. I, winning culture is so important. There's such a big difference between losing culture and winning culture. And I think uh, maintaining that is a huge deal this next year, even if you don't come out with a winning record necessarily. So, yeah. And relationship building and not to mention culture too, like you said, um, you know, especially with the, you know, the money that's being thrown around, it's basically NCAA is turning into professional sports now. So, you know, if you want guys, you gotta, you know, you gotta really build that relationship with them. You can't just, you know, if you don't have the money, like Kansas state's not going to, how are you going to, you know, win out on kids that might get, you know, I'll give you $10,000 up front to go to another school. Right. Right. And well, I hope they, hope they rein that in. Well, uh, it's going to be a fun thing to watch next year. Um, there's so much context surrounding the basketball program. It's so great. <laughs> it's so entertaining if nothing else, you know? Oh yeah. I love me some owls basketball. It was my, it was my first love. And, um, you know, with work slowing down now because of the, uh, the economy is not that great. You know, I've had more time to start up the podcast you know, do more research than I usually would and uh, get back into it. And, you know, really excited for the season. But yeah, unless you got anything else to add, um, I think I'm going to go ahead and take us out. I'll go for it, Kai. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening again. We're going to cue our uh, new sick outro, also done by Nick. Like I said, y'all go check him out on Twitter. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. See you guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter at KSU Owl Howl and at Big Owl Blog. You can also view additional content on BigOwlBlog.com. And be sure to join the online community of Owl fans at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until our hosts return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always... Go Owls!